0: There is hope for us as we look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Thus ends the reading of the inspired and word of God. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless the reading and hearing of the word uh, today, and may may we understand what this passage, the purpose of this passage, and how it does apply in our own day. And may we understand, uh, Lord, what you want to say to each one of us individually. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Open our ears in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul had just finished giving instructions to Timothy at the end of chapter 2 on how to correct those who were in opposition to the truth. And he said that, first of all, God's servant, who is attempting to do this kind of correction, must be gentle, must be humble in their approach. And the purpose of the correction is twofold, and that is, first of all, that they may know the truth and second, that they may escape the snare of the devil. <clears throat> and Paul's words make it clear that the devil was already at work in this church in Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. I can vividly remember a statement from one of our elders who's no longer with us, who's deceased. Uh, many years ago, early on, when we were still a mission congregation and there was some division Significant division and opposition within the church. And this elder spoke up in a small group meeting of prayer and he said, I'll tell you what's wrong with this church. The devil's gotten into this church. <laughs> and, uh, I think he was right. And we shouldn't be surprised that, uh, that the devil would attack the church, right? Would tend to disrupt his church, God's church. And, and, you know, spiritual warfare, It's kind of the norm. It's not the exception. Uh, You know, preachers uh, often leave churches thinking, well, I'll leave this mess behind. I'll leave this trouble behind. I'll leave this warfare behind and go to another place where they'll just have the same thing (laughs) again because the devil's going to attack. He's going to attack the family. He's going to attack husbands and wives. He's going to get between us if we're not careful so we have to take this, this matter of spiritual warfare very seriously. Uh, Paul doesn't just throw out you know, phrases like escape the snare of the devil as if it was just a euphemism, uh, just a meaningless phrase. He, he means what he says. Uh, but, but beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, he writes, But know this, Timothy, know this, congregation, that in the last days perilous times will come. In chapter 2, he focuses on the heresy of the false teachers, not being uh, taken uh, you know, uh, in by it. And now in chapter 3, we see the rotten fruit that comes from false teaching, but also just from the sin, the sinful condition of mankind. And he describes a time of moral decadence and corruption uh a long list, longer than most, at least 19 wicked attitudes and behavior. So truly, perilous times were coming. They really were already there, but they would keep coming. Perilous times will come. They're here, and they will keep coming. And so the word perilous, it can mean dangerous, difficult, violent, uh, fierce <clears throat> times, dangerous times. And so Paul gives Timothy this warning and the congregation so that they would not be caught off guard, so they wouldn't be surprised at the things that they would see taking place in the coming days. Let me ask you a question. Are you surprised when you see horrible, evil things take place in this world, in life? I would suggest to you that you should not be surprised at all. And notice I did not say you shouldn't be bothered or upset by evil, but you shouldn't be surprised by it. God's word plainly tells us that the human heart is so wicked that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually. The question we ought to ask is, why, not why is there so much evil in the world, but why is there any good at all, considering how evil and sinful human beings are? Well, a wicked heart is always going to uh, produce wicked things unless by the grace of God he restrains it and pu- and checks it and 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 changes lives. Well, Paul said to Timothy, these perilous times would come in the last days, <clears throat> and we typically think of, most people think of that phrase as referring to that time immediately before Christ's return. And it does, but for the most part, if you sample that phrase in the New Testament, it's referring to a period, a a broad period between the first and the second coming of our Lord. Uh, It's the Christian era. We are in, living in, the last days. And so uh, these last days will be characterized, says Paul, by many terrible things terrible sins against man, against God. And the times we live in, of course, we read this list and we say it sounds just like today. Uh, And the problem for Timothy, the problem for us today, is is that these sins are not only in the world out there. They find their way into the church. Uh, Again, the devil uh, is not going to leave the church alone if he can separate People in the church, if he can lead them astray, if he can separate families, uh, that's going to uh, bring about what he wants to do. So we have to be on guard against these things. That's why Paul mentions them. And to serve God in these perilous times, which we are in, is is never easy. Uh, it's not easy. Um, we all like to get along and be friendly and nice and not talk about these horrible things uh, that we that, that, that Paul mentions here and so we have a, there are a number of temptations for us as we look at the reality of evil in such times as this and one temptation for believers is to withdraw and disengage from the world altogether uh, to to do the the moth the hermit thing to to just back off and have nothing to do with the world and, and not even interact with people. Well, that would um, kind of be one way to do it, but how could we fulfill the Great Commission? How could we bear witness to the gospel uh, if we did that? Uh, another uh, temptation for us is in the church and as Christians is the pressure to fall in line with the mainstream of culture. If you can't beat them, join them. And why, why not? Uh, just become like the world And some churches have done that. They have used that as their modus operandi to become like the world in order to try and win the world. But my question is, what are you winning the world to if you're doing that? But, of course, the third option is the right one, and that is to resist the sinful culture, to be salt and light in that culture, and to lift up Jesus, the only hope of a sinful world. So we need to remember, of course, that all these things that we read about, uh, isn't it interesting that, yeah, it, there's so much parallel in our own culture today as there was two thousand years ago, there's nothing new. Um, I mean, these things they they come and go, they ebb and flow, but you know the more things change, the more the years go by, the more things stay the same. First Corinthians ten thirteen, Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. These are common things. They've been common since uh, the days that Paul wrote them down. We're facing the same pressures that Paul and Timothy uh, faced. Uh, the pressure to conform to this world. Well, how do we keep ourselves from conforming to the pattern of this world? Well, that language reminds you of Romans 12, doesn't it? Because that's where it comes from. And. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, that we do so by being transformed by the renewal, renewing of your mind. So in the face of perilous times, uh, stand firm on the word of God. Fill your mind with God's truths that come from Scripture. And, of course, part of that truth is is a list like we have read today. Uh, Listing of these sins, being reminded of these things, helps us to know the things to avoid. It helps us to see... uh, trends in our own lives you know that uh, it, it, am i boasting am i am i doing things am, am i without self control a- am i headstrong am i haughty well that's that's the way of the world that that's describing a, a sinful fallen world I, I need to turn away from that i need to be different and i need to pray for uh the world that is uh in slavery to such sins, so it helps us to know what to avoid Helps us know how to pray, but uh, and, and at the end of this list, Paul says, "From such turn away." So there is, there has to be some sense of separation uh, from evil. We can't, again, we can't leave this world. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, says, "I don't pray, Lord, that you, Father, you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them while they are in the world." Well, this list doesn't seem to be organized in any particular order. However, the first That's mentioned probably is a root sin of all the others. Uh, He says in verse 2, For men, first of all, will be lovers of themselves. And of course, by nature, this is true of all people. And, And it's assumed, even in that commandment, the second great commandment that Jesus said, He says, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love yourself. And it's not wrong in the, in, the, in the general sense to love yourself. You love yourself, and it's evidenced by you take care of yourself, or at least to some degree you do, maybe not as good as you ought to, but you do look out for yourself. Uh, that's by nature, but we take that sinfully to an extreme. And to to be a lover of ourselves is 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 to t- turn things around. We are created uh, primarily to love God and to love others. And ourselves, yes, we will love, but the the characterization of people being lovers of themselves is not not a good thing. We know that we're all born with this self-centered uh, nature and uh, but what makes this sense so problematic in our own day is that it actually has been encouraged and even in the church, our culture certainly has promoted self-centeredness and uh, the self-esteem movement, which is kind of, uh, waning, uh, but it's it's actually gotten worse. We just don't use those terms so much anymore, but uh, that's been the driving motivation behind uh, the educational system for many years, uh, self-esteem, and uh, it's been behind much counseling, even Christian counseling. And the self-esteem movement, I think, has done a lot of harm. It's encouraged self-centered people When you encourage self-centered people to be more self-centered and and to have more self-esteem, you're only adding gasoline to a fire. Uh, People today are lovers of themselves, and and that means God and others, not so much. Uh, Me, myself, and I is the Trinity we worship. And so self-love, self-worth, self-esteem, these have become the gospel for many. The gospel is not about being saved from sin and being made right with God delivered from his wrath, it's, made, it's when Jesus helps me to feel better about myself, helps me to love myself more. No, that is not the gospel, folks. Uh, Jesus taught us, in fact, that we are to deny ourselves uh, and take up our cross if we're going to follow him. But, of course, we, we, the default in human nature is to look out or number one. It's, it's a sign that we live in perilous times. Another sign that we live in dangerous times is that men will be lovers of money. Again, it's nothing new, uh, and the idea is people who love themselves, of course, are going to love money because it, that's just more for them, more for themselves. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now the Bible tells us that we ought to work with our own hands so that we can earn a living to support ourselves, our families, and to help others in need. Earning a living. And the Bible says God is the one who gives us the power to gain wealth. We should work hard. We should save. We should give uh, and, and not hoard. Uh, so the love of money. You see, God gives us money to use and things, but to love them supremely is the sin that's being spoken against. And that drives so much in our culture today Uh, because a lot of things are going on with uh, sickness and surgery and medical things. I I, I tend to want to read up on these things from time to time, and, and I read up on some of these things, and I look at the medical world. And I say, well, how much of the medical world is driven by money? How, how, how many of the things that, the, that, that doctors and physicians tell us we need are driven by the pharmaceutical industry who's telling us sell this and you'll be rich or you'll, you know, whatever. And that can I'm not just picking on doctors uh, because that can apply in any and every field. It can apply to those in the ministry. Do we not see that with false teachers? That they are the ones flying around in their big jets and their, uh, you know, uh, $500,000 cars and, uh, and they're saying, send us money and, and God will make you rich. Well, that barely works out, but, uh, they're promoting the love of money when God condemns it. And what did Jesus say about it? He said, uh, uh, you cannot serve God and mammon things money uh, you will love one and hate the other so if you love money it rules out loving god you can have money but if you love it you can't love god you can have money and love god understanding that's his gift for his purposes so read you know read the bible and it teaches us a thing called contentment you ever heard of that for contentment uh, godliness, Paul said, with contentment is great gain. Uh, you know, people, uh, these false teachers suppose that godliness is a means to gain. It's a way to get rich. We can work the system. We can work all those gullible people and get their money. No, godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content? Uh, that's the That's the remedy. For the love of money. Verse four, he says, men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the pursuit of pleasure, of course, is is found in many different areas. Uh, there's the perversity of uh, perverse sexual pleasure. Uh, there's uh, pleasures that people seek in food and in drink and in drugs. Why do people uh, do these things? Well, because they love pleasure rather than. God, Colossians teaches us to set our mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, not on the pleasures on the earth. That is God. Is God um, is he against pleasure? No, he created us for pleasure. He created your taste buds. I'm really enjoying sweets right now. I'm trying to be careful not to eat too much, but um, uh, but my wife keeps cooking them and, and making cookies and. They must be for me, right? Uh, no, it's uh, So there's, there's a time and a place to enjoy food, uh, um, to, to enjoy pleasure, uh, sexual pleasure. Did God create that? Yes, he did. He created it for a man and a woman to be united in marriage and to enjoy. But lovers of pleasure are those who put pleasure before God. They don't love God. They're only out to enjoy the things that he's created without enjoying him. So it seems that few today are really loving God as they ought to. Um, they love self, they love money, they love power, which Paul doesn't say so much about here in this, in this passage. But, uh, and they may even ask God for these things, and, and, and yet when they get them, as James says, you know, you, you're, you're spending them on yourself. It's all for you and not for God's glory. Now, it's not difficult to see that people who love self, love money, love pleasure, and not God, that such people would manifest the other despicable traits that we find in this list, such as pride and blasphemy and disrespect to parents and all legitimate authority. They're unthankful. That's the great sin that's mentioned in Romans 1, that instead of glorifying God, men were unthankful and God gave them over to horrible sins. So he lists a number of sins here that begin with the prefix the English prefix un. People are unthankful, they're unholy, they're unloving, they're unforgiving. Oh, I pray that in my own life I uh, did I would not be characterized by unthings like this. In short, th- this list is you know they're ungodly. And that's what characterized Timothy's culture. And Paul's culture and things are no different today. And so that kind of ungodliness, what does it lead to? It leads to a hatred of God and a hatred of all that's good. Do we not see that in our culture today? A despising of what is good and a mockery of what is good. And it leads to brutality, uh, the loss of respect for human life. It leads to, to riots, to killing, to uh, to abortion Uh, Upon demand, uh, at any point in pregnancy, it leads to more crime, more murder, and war. Uh, It leads to uh, hell on earth, if you will. And there's no question that we're living in perilous times today. But the final sin Paul condemns here is, is people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And this is a direct reference to those who are part of and associated with the visible church on earth. These people look the part on the outside. And on the inside, uh, it's empty. They have a form of godliness. It's like the, we have pecan trees in our backyard, and they look lovely. And they provide shade in the summer, so I can't say all, you know, too much bad about them. And they actually produce pecans, but when you go to crack them, there's never anything in them. There's just there's, It's rotten, or it doesn't form, or whatever. I don't know what the problem is, but um, it's a form of a pecan, but there's no pecan in the, in the pecan. And um, this is true of, of many people who claim to be Christians, many people who are in church, and the problem is, he says, they they deny they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They deny the inner reality of the new birth and of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. They can just do and go and 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 look and act, but there's nothing within. It's empty, it's an empty shell. Church members who are not born again are a problem. A lot of times that's where division comes from. Now you and I don't know who is truly born again and who it. We, we can be fooled. We can fool ourselves. But uh, sooner or later, such people, uh, their true colors will uh, be known. And when they do, Paul says, and from such people turn away. When you, when you can identify that, when that is known, then you must turn away from it. And sometimes we we even we can see that entire churches, entire denominations are made up of those who have an outward form of Christianity. But they deny the, the reality of the word of God, the truth of the word of God. They have a form of godliness, but they're not truly Christian because they don't believe the word of God. It's a sign of the times. And Paul says, know this, Timothy, know it. Uh, Get it in your head and in your mind that that we're living in perilous times, and perilous times are going to come. They're already here and probably going to get worse. I told you it was going to be a little pessimistic today. Uh, But, you know, a lot of people don't like any pessimism whatsoever. And I have my moments when I don't, but usually I, I tend towards the pessimist side. And uh, they, they, they have their head in the sand. They pretend that everything's not so bad. Uh, let's don't be so negative. And, you know, but I say that they, they're pretending. It's not reality. The reality is what Paul lists in these verses. And, and he says, know this. Don't ignore it. Come to grips with it. Our nation today has never been perfect But it's spiraling downward. The church in America has never been perfect, but a lot of downward trends. Uh, Do you see these things in our culture? Do you see the downward trend? Do you see uh, the characteristics described by Paul in these verses? Uh, Don't be naive about evil. Uh, Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man uh, foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Um, Well, the purpose of giving this list of evil things and mention of evil times is so that, first of all, we wouldn't fall into them ourselves. That we would be on guard, especially in the church. Uh, We are to guard the purity of the church, we're to guard the peace of the church, and be concerned for the prosperity, the growth. And the blessing of the church. But the purity of the church is so important. And the Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So we, Paul says purge out the old leaven from the church. Uh, purity is important. Now we do that with humility. We do that with grace. We don't want uh, anyone to to uh, to be dealt with harshly. But in love we speak the truth and guard the purity of the church. So. What else do we do? What what should we do in perilous times? What is our response in the face of evil that creeps into the church, but evil also in our culture and nation? Um, Surely, electing the right politicians is not the answer, uh, because even the best politicians are often corrupt. Yes, I can diss on them too today. Surely, electing uh, them and, 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 and gaining a, a bigger or better government is not the answer. Often that's part of the problem. A- and more education isn't the answer. Uh, higher education in universities today is, is one of the main culprits of ungodliness, ungodly thinking and behaviors. So what's the answer? How do we respond uh, in times like this? Well, over 150 years ago, uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle in London, uh, he saw that at that time they were living in very similar times. If you read his message on this passage, it sounds just like today. And and uh, he's the, the author of the book Holiness that I mentioned earlier. But he wrote to challenge Christians in his congregation, but also he was well-read in, in his day. And so lots of people throughout Great Britain were... Going to read this and did read this message. And he said the first response to living in perilous times is that we must not be cowards simply because the times are perilous. Uh, and, and, you know, the Bible says if we faint in the day of adversity, then our strength is small. We need some courage uh, in our day. Ryle said we must not fold our arms and say, well, I have no influence, I can do nothing. He said, this is nothing but laziness. Every man and woman on earth has some influence. Everyone's accountable to God for using that influence. Whether you live in a country, whether you live in a city, crowded London, or a rural hamlet. Everyone can do something to mend the times. God expects everyone to do what he can. You may not be able to do uh, what others can do, but do what you can. And so uh, far too often we're apathetic. We say, well, what? I mean... There's, there's no stopping this, this evil tide, is there? I mean, what could we do? Uh, I just read this week that an award was given f- for the Christian Book of the Year by Christianity Today. They give an award every year. And the winner this year is a book titled Overcoming Apathy. And I haven't read the book. I have no idea if it's good or not. But the title itself says... Uh, that there's a problem in our culture, in our Christian culture today, and, you know, it's apathy. A lot of it's apathy. Because we do feel helpless uh, in dealing with the things that are going on around us every day. But don't be apathetic. Uh, and, and of course, the most important thing for you to do in perilous times see, perilous times remind us of the, of the true end time, the, the last day when Jesus comes back to judge the world at that time it will be heaven or hell for all eternity for those who stand before him and that's all humanity will stand before him so the most important thing you can do is to make certain that you know Jesus Christ and that you've been saved from your sins and make sure you have true faith true saving faith in him and not merely the form of godliness not merely repeating I, I said a prayer many years ago I raised my hand Uh, I, 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 you know, whatever I did, but did it change your life? Did it result in a life of obedience and discipleship where Jesus Christ is your Lord and you're seeking to live for him? And uh, otherwise, if you don't turn to Christ and know him, you're part of the problem. You are still part of the problem and not the solution. So have you been born again? Have you been justified by faith? Have you been converted to Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, today could be the day that you turn from the sin in your own heart and repent and receive Jesus humbly and accept His saving grace. Call upon the Lord to save you. Receive Him and trust Him. We live in perilous times. That means a time that's it's not safe. It's not a safe world we live in. And the only way to be safe is to find safety in Christ. Putting your soul in the hands of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Lot. Uh, Lot and his family decided to live in Sodom because it was a pleasant place. The the problem was, uh, it was a wicked place. And and God says he was going to come down and destroy the city. And Lot warned his sons-in-laws because God had told him. Uh, that he was going to destroy the city and they thought he was joking they laughed at him so they were going to be lost Uh, the angels told Lot hurry up and get out of here it's going to happen soon Uh, so he takes his wife and his daughters but he lingers and so the angels have to grab him by the the arm and pull him out of the city Uh, and, and, and they said escape for your life do not look back Or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And God did indeed send fire and brimstone. Sadly, Lot's wife looked back longing for Sodom. She was turned into a pillar of salt. But perilous times are times that are ripe for judgment. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah was ripe for judgment and God judged them. He destroyed them utterly. Such times are a a reminder of us to escape the coming judgment of God. Escape from your life. Escape the fires of hell and of judgment by turning and fleeing to Jesus Christ who took judgment upon himself as he died. But Ryle in this message went on to say our second duty is to pray night and day that God may intervene and drive back the flood of evil which seems to be bursting on our country. What you may remember about Sodom and Gomorrah is that God also told Abraham what was going to happen. And so Abraham began to intercede for the the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that God would stay his hand of judgment. And of course, uh, God did not ultimately stay his hand of judgment, but he did save Lot and his daughters. And so pray for your unsaved family members. Pray for the lost. Pray for the nation. Pray for the world. Pray against the tide of evil in our day. Who knows what God will do? God is the same. Yesterday, today, forever, he still answers prayer, and he longs to hear your prayers. And this is what you can do. You can pray night and day against the tide of evil. And again, starting with your own heart. um, James said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he was talking about the example of Elijah uh, who prayed and God sent rain when it was a great time of drought. So pray. uh, Pray with zeal. Pray with faith. Pray with earnestness. Pray righteous prayers for the glory of God, the extension of his kingdom, the growth of his church. God holds the hearts of kings, presidents, and peasants in his hand, and he is able to change those hearts, believe it, and pray like you believe That God can change the world. That's how things can change when you start praying and doing so in earnest. Another response for us as believers, of course, is to pursue holiness, to pursue godliness in our personal lives. If it's the ungodly, if it's the hypocrites, those who have only an outward form of godliness that are part of the problem, that are bringing us down, that we need to make sure that we ourselves are growing in grace and godliness. If you're not growing, you are in decline. There is no in-between. Uh, you know that. So we have to obey God's perfect law, the law that gives us uh, freedom. When we keep it, we uh, are, we're honoring Him, we're glorifying Him, we're giving thanks to Him for saving us, uh, and you know the world around us cares nothing for the commandments of God. Uh, they despise them. They go out of their way to break them. It's like they're it's like they're aiming intentionally to to defy God. Um, and of course, we need to do the opposite. We need to be very intentional. We need to study the Ten Commandments. We need to look at our lives in light of them, and and ask God how we might uh, do His will written therein. Well, we can only do so, of course, by looking to Jesus. That's the only solution, is Jesus. And that's why Ryle ends his sermon uh, uh, on this passage by urging his readers to continually look for the coming and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said this, the second coming, is the great event that will wind up the affairs of all nations. Then and only then will sin, disorder, and superstition be put down completely and come an end. So where is your hope this morning? Uh, yes, God can change the world. He can change lives, and He will. But our ultimate hope is in the coming of Christ when He comes in great power and glory to judge the world. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All your eggs in one basket. The hope of His return Uh, He will judge the world. He will destroy the world. Uh, It will will burn up in fire, but only to be remade into the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness and righteousness alone will dwell. Revelation 21.8 says that when Jesus returns the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable... murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So here's another list, and it's not so different from the other list. In other words, the evil things that Paul writes about, that Revelation writes about, they're going to be separated from God's people for all eternity. They will have no place in the eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. But they will be in the lake of fire and brimstone. So we're living in perilous times. We're living in the last days. We are. And maybe the last of the last days. I don't know. But we know this, that that our redemption is drawing nearer every day. The coming of Christ is getting nearer, closer every single day.
1: And one day,
0: he's going to come back. And and the perilous times will be over. It will be times of eternal peace. Where there's no more sin, no more, uh, no more time, just an eternal joy, eternal love, beauty, holiness, love, worship, and adoration. We all long for that. And it's coming. Let's get ready. And we have to do that partially by being real about the evil of our times. Let's pray.